Hello and welcome to Fangirls the Podcast. Uh, I am Kara and today I'm going to be talking with the creator extraordinaire Sadie. She's also known as Defense360 around the internet. Um, I just have a short bio and then we will actually get to talking, which I'm really excited about. Uh, so Sadie is a filmmaker, vlogger, artist, and curator. Her videos on YouTube have a super distinct and creative style that is both like sometimes really scrapbooky and sometimes super collage-like. And the videos all have a really cohesive and enchanting visuals and music. And in them, she expresses thoughtful reflection on growing up, making memories, how we tell time, and express our love for things. Basically, like being a huge fangirl. Sadie has also written and directed and produced several short films which are all available on her YouTube channel and they deal with different themes ranging from like witchiness and hauntings to the yearning feelings of teenagehood and girlhood. I always feel incredibly inspired after watching Sadie's videos and short films and I'm thrilled to have to hear... Oh my god, <laughs> I just fell apart at the very end. Um, I am thrilled to have her here to talk today. Hooray, welcome! Hi, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so excited. I talked to Kara before about how I'm such a big fan of everything related to GirlCon. I totally wish I could have been there, but this is like the next best thing. I'm so excited. Yay, thank you. And also, I thought we would say for the record that we have recorded this conversation in a previous <laughs> form and audio <laughs> tech troubles. So we're doing it again and we're just going to pretend like we've never talked before. You have no idea what the questions are. It's a total surprise. It's all yeah. good. <laughs> Except I probably will refer back to some things that we said because, like, we made some really great insights last time, mm -hmm. I think. We did. We did. Yeah. Um, that was super cool. Oh, I wanted to tell you, sorry, this isn't, like, the most top news importance, but last night I watched Diary of a Teenage Girl after you talked about it last time. Yes. Oh, my God. Did you love it? Yeah. It was incredible. It was amazing. It was so good. My name is Minnie Getz. I'm an aspiring cartoonist, and I'm recording this onto a cassette tape because my life has gotten really crazy of late. Quit spying! I had sex today. Holy shit. This makes me officially an adult. I, that was probably my favorite movie of last year. It was just, it, it was so moving. It was one of the best movies I've ever seen. I loved it. It, yeah oh my gosh it was just like the acting was incredible and like the way that it was lit and it was like kind of sepia toned the whole thing and right. it was just like so personal and cool and she's also like making comics so it's also about like a girl creator kind of um totally. which I feel like there are a lot of movies and stories about like boys who also like make things like their first time writing or something like that so it was cool to get that from a girl's perspective and what was so cool about that was like you mentioned, like, I feel like we have seen, you know, stories about boys who have found that, like, art helps them through their struggle, right? Whatever that struggle is. You kind of see that in Boyhood by Richard Linklater, which we've talked about. Um, but with Diary of a Teenage Girl, you really get to see her discover how art is the answer to so many of the struggles she went through. And that was just so profound for me to see on screen. It was just totally incredible it was super rad and also it features some of the comics um and they're actually i can't remember what her name is something like kaminsky eileen yeah, kaminsky, yeah. who i think is a real comic yeah. artist she is actually that yeah. was really cool i was like i want to go look at her stuff afterwards because like i just think it's really neat when there's you see like inspiration within a movie like you can kind of see i mean also it's based on a real story so i, I like really feels like that but 
Right, right. It just rang so true. It was so resonant. Yeah, it made me so excited. Um, so going back to uh, your early, like, fan experiences, actually, well, okay. First of all, I, <laughs> last time we talked a little bit about how we have met in person before, but it was, like, before mm-hmm. I totally knew who you were in, like, an internet context, which is very strange yeah. to think about now. Um, but I think we both met at LeakyCon. Um, mm-hmm. in we did. 2013? I think it was the 2013 one. It was in Portland, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was 2013, and I had found your YouTube channel. I'm pretty sure it was through that Mika Kitty, like, sharing your video, and you kind of blew up that summer. And I just, I watched, like, all of your videos. I was so into your channel. And then I, I saw you. It was after, sometime after or before the ball, and I, I had my own fangirl moment. I was so excited to see you. Aww. That's so cute to hear about. Thank you. I just remember, like, I was kind of overwhelmed by LeakyCon in general, but it was so exciting to, like, like have someone, like, see me and, like, know me from the internet. Well, it was kind of bewildering, um, but it was also cool. And then to go back on the internet and, like, be like, oh, no, wait, I think I would, like, I somehow saw- I found one of your videos, and then I was like, wait, this is the girl I saw. <laughs> and that was yeah. such a weird moment, and uh, I think that's just one of the cool things about the internet is, like, it's really wild to, like, when it becomes real offline as well. And it's just, like, it's so interesting the way that you can be people in different places. And I, sometimes I forget about that, but it's always so cool. Exactly. And with LeakyCon, it's weird because you're sort of... It's it's different, like, seeing someone at LeakyCon who you know from the internet than, like, just out of, out and about in your day-to-day life. Because LeakyCon is sort of like a heightened state of awareness because you're, like, looking for... Um, I guess, internet people in a sense that you know of. You're just sort of, like, on high alert. Um, I told you about how, like, I I ran into, or I was just in a hallway at LeakyCon, and I had seen, like, Haley G. Hoover and Rosiana, Miss X Rojas, like, just sort of, like, walking as a group, like, down, like, speeding across, like, past me. And I just remember feeling like, oh my god, like it's so it's so surreal, you know, because like I mm-hmm. I've been watching their videos for years, and I I really like look up to them, you know, they're sort of like role models via YouTube because I I just loved everything they made, and I loved Five Awesome Girls. Um, so yeah, LeakyCon is strange, and it's a it's kind of a cool fan experience, but like you said, bewildering at a lot of times. Yeah, and yeah, I remember for me as well because also there's a moment like I think I did meet Haley G Hoover once, and then I was like, "Hi," and I was like, "Oh, I really love your videos." She was like, "Oh, that's so sweet," and then she was like, "And what's your name?" And I was like, "Oh no, she doesn't know who I am." Like obviously she wouldn't <laughs> because I don't yeah. think I was even making anything that she could have seen at that point. But like you just kind of expect there almost to be a rapport. Or else, when right. you, like, come face-to-face, you realize, like, obviously, they don't know you. And that can be really right. strange as well. And it's a weird middle ground, right? Because, like, when you meet, like, celebrities and stuff, like, there's a certain feeling, like, if you're meeting a celebrity, then they already know, like, you know who I am, and I don't know who you are, and that's just the dynamic we have. But, like, it's different with YouTube people, because, like, I... I I'm not a big YouTuber by any means, so, like, I wouldn't think that anyone knows who I am, but, um, like, some people have recognized me before, and I'm just totally, like, like, caught off guard by it, like, even at LeakyCon, like, it's just a weird experience, like, making things so solitarily in your room, just by yourself posting it to the internet, and, like, 
actually reaching a person is kind of surreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we talked a bit about the disconnect before, but there is this idea, like, even if you have comments on something, you're like, oh, here's a username, here's, like, someone who's always just, like, thumbs up, and you're like, okay, I don't know, like, it's hard to mm-hmm. conceptualize some of that stuff as, like, real humans all of the time. Right. Um, and I was thinking about this in terms of just, like, being younger and fanning over people, and I think in some ways, like, it was really hard for me because I did idealize, like, also the five awesome girls and stuff to an extent that, like, sometimes when I was younger, I just had, like, this intense longing to be friends with these people, and then there comes a point when you're like, oh, no way, I can't be their friend. Like, it's just not going to happen, and I was wondering, like, did you have that? Oh, my God. Yeah, even you just saying that right now, like, takes me back to that exact feeling of, like, feeling like you're so close to like you're like in a community right like even a commenter of like five awesome girls videos like that's a community like people who watch the videos um so you feel like so close to it but you're like one step removed and if it's sort of more painful than like wanting to be friends with a celebrity which I'm sure like everyone has felt that feeling because like people who make YouTube videos don't feel that far away from you in some ways so it's like ah, it's like this yearning almost, like, I feel like we connect in this real way, and there's no barrier between us, because you're just being yourself on camera, and I remember feeling like, ah, like, I want to enter, and I want to be in some kind of, like, YouTube friend circle, you know, because, like, it always seemed like, okay, like, everyone lives in London or Los Angeles, and that's how everyone is friends with each Mm -hmm. other, and I'm just here in the middle of nowhere, and, like, It just feels like, can I be a part of something if I'm not, like, physically there with them and I'm friends with them, you know? I know, which is funny, too, because it is, like, the internet, like, you should be able to do it online, but there have been these, like, really physical communities that have formed that can still make you feel, like, really excluded if you're somewhere that's not there. Right. Yeah, it's it's not that different from, like, just being at, like, school and going through normal just, like, friend group things. Like, the internet is just, like, it's weird and you sort of have to find your place in it. Like, not, like, find your place, like, like <laughs> you're not one of them, but in it, in a just, like, find your voice kind of way, and just, like, being comfortable with not, like, being friends with everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you a bit about that, because I know it took me, like, years and years on the internet before I started, like, really making things. For so long, I was just, like, kind of looking in, and then eventually I got a YouTube account so I could comment, and then it was, like, such a slow process. Um, Mm -hmm. But you started making these, like, really fantastic animated lyric videos, like, ten years ago or something, and I wanted to know, like, how you got into YouTube and why, like, you were so early and, like, so quick to start making things. Yeah, I think it's sort of like that feeling of like, oh, like I don't I don't know if I belong in the in the community. Like I jumped quickly into making videos, I think, because I didn't know that that existed. Like I was I was a child when I started making videos. I was like 10. Um, but I was doing it in such a way where it just felt like I was putting things into a void. Like I wasn't I hadn't like discovered vlog brothers. Like I I was just you know, my brother had shown me what YouTube was, like, in 2006, and I had watched, like, Lonely Girl 15 and was really, like, enamored by, like, YouTube as a as a thing and, like, video in general. But I didn't know that communities of, like, friends existed. So I don't think there was that intimidation factor. But when I started vlogging, that definitely kicked in. I definitely felt more like, where do I fit in in all of this? Um, but, yeah, like, as far as starting early it just felt like something that like it just felt like a why not kind of thing you know I was still I wasn't like a a 
early teenager, so I wasn't super full of insecurities, like you're immediately blasted with when it seems like you hit 13. Um, so, you know, I would just make sort of like silly animations um, inspired by my favorite songs at the time and just throw them up and see what happens, you know, because it just, it just seemed like, why not, you know? Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And also, I feel like there must be something about that age, like just before teenagehood, because I always think about Tavi Gevinson being like 11 and doing her blog and like having no like fear or anxiety about like people being in on it. Also, because you don't expect anyone to watch. And I think about when I was 11, I was like in a NaNoWriMo community. <laughs> and it's just like you yeah. have such a different vision of yourself at the time. It's so interesting. It's so strange. It's so true. And in a similar way, like, I think it's that feeling of, like, becoming aware of your image, like, in the world, like, becoming aware of, like, who you are and how you, how people perceive you. Like, I don't feel like that exists when you're a kid. Like, that's, that's what I'm like, I love childhood for that reason. Like, um, I like kids for that reason, because I like, I like that you don't have to think about, like, how, like, how you exist in the world. You just exist, if that makes sense. So that's where I was when I started making videos. Yeah, and I wanted to also ask you just, like, what is it like now, like, years and years on, to have all of these years documented of your face on the internet? And also, have you made videos personal? Like, how do you decide what to keep public? Mm. Well, it feels like, like, one of the most gratifying parts about making videos for me is, like, the the idea that like yes I have all of the the actual things that I filmed to look back on on my channel and I have like oh right like um I was I was really concerned with this topic at the time so I have this like great vlog but the great thing about making videos and looking back at at everything I've made is like I start to remember um really specific like details about my time at that age just by looking at the video. So it doesn't even have to be stuff that I talked about in the video. It can just be like, wow, like, there I am, like, as a as a sentient human <laughs> 14-year-old, mm-hmm. and think, like, okay, yeah, like, this is what I was going through then. Um, and like I said, like, um, you know, it makes it easier for me to relate to younger people and relate to people in different life stages than me when I have, like, those very tangible, like, records of who I was. So, like, I can just look at a freshman in the hallway and be like, mm, freshman. Or I can be like, oh, that's when I made that video and that's what I was feeling then. Um, and I sort of had that epiphany, like, when, um, you know, we were talking the other day because mm-hmm. it just seems like, wow, like, I'm I'm getting so much more out of the videos than I even realize when I put them up. You know, like, they they... they as the time goes on, they become way more meaningful um, just by virtue of just time passing. It's, it's pretty amazing. Um, and then as far as the what to keep personal and what to keep private, um, I watched this really great video by my friend Linda Barcy. Mm-hmm. She makes videos. You might know her. She, she made those videos about dating for a really long time and that kind of um, vlogging through the dating process of an early 20-something. And she talked about how, like, for her, the most powerful thing in a video is vulnerability. I totally agree. Like, it really made me realize, like, what's the point of making videos if you're not going to, like, bare your soul in some way or another? Um, And so I don't think you have to, like, share your details of your personal life, like, 
like actual like names and what's happening. Like I, I don't do a lot of that on my channel, but I do get pretty personal with feelings and like, you know, I, I sort of talk about things on my channel that I don't really talk about, like, you know, on the daily with even my family. Like, it's it's a lot of stuff that I even, you know, like, I'll look back at my journals and, like, think, like, okay, like, what details are resonant here and what, what might help people if I put it in a video and what do I want to remember. So a lot of times I'll take things, you know, straight from my journal. Like, it's stuff that isn't, isn't stuff that I would broadcast to the world, but I think is important to make videos out of because I think it's boring if you aren't if you aren't showing who you really are, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. And also, it makes me think, I watched um, a video recently by uh, someone I know online. I think her name is Nicole or Nikki. Um, and it was about, like, the idea that people's online identities, like, or, well, it was kind of deconstructing the idea that people's online identities are fake. Do I edit myself online? Do I choose what to share and what not to share. Yes, I definitely do. But my point is, I do the exact same in real life, for lack of a better term. In fact, in my case, I'd say I do it even more in real life. I have much less of a filter online. People who know me from specific contexts, IRL, um, know specific sides of me. And I think that's pretty normal. But I share a lot more um, kind of sides of myself online. So actually people who know me online uh, usually know me a lot better than people who just know me from one context in real life. I'm confused by this concept of how sharing your life is somehow less authentic when you do it online than if you do it in real life. But just when you said that like some of the stuff that you share isn't stuff that you would even share with your family. Like for a while, because oh, the same for me, for, for a while I would feel like, oh no, like I have to be that real all the time with everyone or else like I'm not being like a, the real human. Like you have to be the same everywhere. And I think one of the things I've been realizing over the past few years is like, no, like it's okay. Like every different interaction you have with a person or like that's one of the things that writing or that making art or that videos can offer is like you are a very specific person in that moment and you don't have to like live up to that all of the time that is such a good point yeah like I've been told by like people at my school or something like you're different in videos than you are in real life like not in like an accusatory way but just you know like oh I've noticed this way and like I really don't think that's a bad thing like um like you said that's a version of me but I realized a long time ago that every version of me is me you know mm -hmm. like I think everyone has sort of gone through that crisis at one point or another like is the real me like who I am with my mom or my sister or my best friend or YouTube like nope it's all me but I feel more comfortable like going there immediately with my camera because I have like a relationship to YouTube and Frankly, to my camera, that sounds weird. Like, I feel, like, comfortable talking to my camera just right yeah. off the bat, like, diving in, in a way that I wouldn't with just, like, a school acquaintance. Yeah, know? which is really cool, too, because it, it does, like, transform the way that we interact with others and ourselves. And, like, like you were saying earlier with, like, being able to see yourself back then, I think video is really unique in that, like, I can reread my old journals and there's a sense of disconnect. Like, I'm like, oh, no, was I really thinking this? Like, this is so terrible. But then if I see myself talking about something, like, you really have to face, like, this is who I was then. Like, I was a real person, not just, like, some sad mm. thoughts in my journal. Which is, I mean, I think it's helpful. So it's true. nice. Totally. Yeah, like, video, video, like, making videos and accompanying 
journals to like the time that you were making that video like that's a really that's kind of a visceral experience when you like um like read a journal entry from like December of 2013 and then you watch a video that you made at that correlating time it just brings it to life in this I think really important way it makes you understand yourself in a more complex yeah, way it's so interesting and also now it's just making me think like about different artists through history and what it would have been like to have vlogs from them, which I'm pretty sure people have talked oh. about before. But, like, the idea that Shakespeare would have hated social media is so just wrong and just, like, off. Because I think so many creators would have been like, wow, look at this amazing way I can connect with people and share my ideas, and it's so easy, and I don't have to, like, wait years and years to get a response. That is... I totally agree. I think a number of famous artists from history would see that so much of social media is literally about, like, understanding people. And, you know, if you just, like, look at, like, the trending things on Twitter, like, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about, like, meaningful social media. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, like, digging into, like, the depths of YouTube and, like, finding stories there. So, yeah, I agree. I think Shakespeare would be a blocker. <laughs> it would be so strange now, but, like, uh, interesting. <laughs> Uh, and so I also wanted to ask you, because we talked a bit about community, like, how did you get into finding a community through YouTube? And, like, what was it like when you first found that? Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that when I first started, like, I didn't really know about, like, the Vlogbrothers or really vlogging. Like, like I said, my intro to YouTube was Lonely Girl 15. And, like, that's, if you think about, like, a social experiment, like... It's, it was, like, a fake vlog, and I loved just, like, tracking how it progressed and, like, knowing, like, finding out that it was fake was, like, such a revelation for me. So I wasn't really, like, tuned into the fact that that was happening at first, um, but that flipped when I found Vlogbrothers, as I'm sure that's the case for a lot of people, like, in our community who make videos, um, because they were, I mean... I don't really watch the Vlogbrothers that much anymore, but they were definitely, like, the pioneers of just, like, community plus vlogging. So that was my intro in. Um, and, you know, like, I just sort of, like, dived into just, like, different niches in YouTube and just, like, explored different communities and, like, kind of floated in different areas where a lot of small YouTubers were, were making stuff. And a lot of them are people I still watch today and love today, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, like I said, when I was first, like, coming onto the scene as, like, a vlogger, it was kind of intimidating. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't feel that anymore just because I'm, like, used to it, and I don't really think about the community that much when I just put something out into the world. But I definitely... It sort of felt like being the new kid in school. It was just kind of intimidating. Yeah, totally. And it is interesting as well. I think maybe the difference is, like, back then, because also I got into YouTube through... or got into vlogging, I guess, through the Vlogbrothers... Uh, like, maybe there was more of a sense then of, like, either being in that nerdfighter community or, like, or else you were just, like, trying to get in. Whereas now, when I think about, like, massive video makers and things, most of that is, like, stuff that I don't even know about. Like, the corner of YouTube that I exist in is so small that I'm, like, I really don't feel any connection or or even, like, any worry or like thought about like what some other big person might think because like it's so cozy just like the few people and like the uh, people have been watching over the years that's so true like that's another thing like I feel like when I first started making videos it was such a concern like what the bigger bigger youtubers were doing and like um 
even like things like subscribers like I thought about that it like kind of made me like feel insecure and weird but like at this point it's just like I don't know my subscribers are kind of plateaued I feel like the people who are watching my stuff are the people who are watching my stuff and it's not even about like getting bigger it's just about like making better things I think that's kind of the distinction yeah and it's really nice to have that too because yeah it's just like it's very helpful to have people who are just really there to talk and not like the disconnect between fans and creators that we talked about a bit when we we were talking about VidCon last time and just kind of like the scariness that happens when it's such a massive scale and like it's hard for either side to see the others as humans which like can lead to Mm -hmm. a bunch of issues right yeah like that was just something I mainly noticed last year was like from a fangirl sense like I worried for like the girls who are obsessing over various YouTubers because they were getting, like, made fun of on social media and that really upset me. But on the flip side, like, I thought it was really dehumanizing the way bigger YouTubers were being treated and, like, hoarding hotel rooms. Like, it really grossed me out. So, yeah, if if what the current, like, YouTube community as a whole is, is VidCon, then, like, I don't really have that much of an interest in that. It's more, like you said, just, like, the cozy sort of, like, corner that all of us are in and, like, the, the subscriptions I have now are just, like, you know, not many people, just, like, random little small YouTubers that I think are really cool that I ran across. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. A lot of the things that used to matter have kind of dissipated. Yeah, which is an interesting thing about growing up. It's nice, though, but it's, it is also funny. I feel like a majority of people making videos, at least that I watch, all came out of, like, Harry Potter fans and nerd fighters, And now, like, that's, like, the hidden foundation because it's not necessarily a thing mm. that anyone talks about anymore. But it's just, like, this shared right. past. It's so true. Harry Potter was, like, the big... I think that's a really good point, that Harry Potter was kind of a thing that brought everyone to the website initially. Like, I remember... I think that's how Rosianna got yeah, started definitely. and that sort of group. They they bonded over Harry Potter, but now it's just like you said, hidden. It's totally branched off. Yeah, from which that. is interesting. It's fun. I think it also speaks to like the power of fan culture in like shaping the way that the internet works, which is super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted mm-hmm. to talk a bit about uh, your recent video after the road, and just kind of in general the way that you document like the teen experience or your teen experience. Um, through your videos and when you were talking in that video about having all these expectations for like high school and for teenagehood and now as you're like about to graduate you realize that like not everything is going to be the way that you imagined it would. All of it got me thinking about how I've spent a lot of time in high school just living in my head and fantasizing about the way I wish things were or the type of life I wish I was living at any given moment. And that idea of whatever perfect high school life I wanted changed day to day. Just sort of burying myself in all my favorite like high school related movies and TV to just pretend constantly that that was the life. I was living, that I lived in Freaks and Geeks, that my boyfriend was Heath Ledger and 10 Things I Hate About You, etc, etc. I think I used to sort of wallow in being by myself, think about how things will be better sophomore year, junior year, senior year. Like, I'll meet someone then or things will be perfect in this way at that time, so I just have to wait. But now that high school's almost over and I know for certain 
that a lot of the things that I had wished for for so long to happen in high school aren't happening. It's weirdly exactly what I needed. That video, like, I think was sort of my epiphany about high school video. Like, a lot of, I, I see it as kind of the culmination of, like, a lot of the things I've sort of been processing. But basically, my epiphany was just about what I thought high school should have been and what it was. Um, so, yeah, like, I, I mentioned that I go to an all-girls school, which isn't something I ever really talk about on the internet. And I realized I kind of avoided it because I was worried that it didn't seem, like, high school-y enough. Like, that was, that was kind of an epiphany I had to, like, hmm, is all-girls school, like, does that, like, take away, like, like my cred <laughs> as, like, a real yeah. teen or whatever? Like, I've had, I, I've had sort of an unconventional, like, educational experience, so that sort of made me feel kind of like, hmm. And, um, like, I told you that Freaks and Geeks was I watched Freaks and Geeks for the first time the summer before I started high school. And that's my favorite show. It's super crucial to me. Um, but it also sort of created this, like, expectation for what high school needed to be. And I realized um, that, like, the whole show's, like, foundation is based on the idea of, like, oh, like, we're not going to make movies that are just, or make TV about just the stereotypes of high school, like, jocks and cheerleaders, whatever. We're going to make it about, like, the subgroups of high school that don't normally get attention. Um, but in doing that, it sort of created its own, like, standard for me. So, you know, like, am I a freak or a geek? Or, like, where do I fit in if that's what high school should be? And if I think, like, that's, like, the coolest um, example of high school I can think of, then where do I fit into that? Um, but the realization was that, like, I'm only getting now was that it didn't have to be anything. Like, like high school will inevitably have, like, certain, like, key components no matter where you go, all-girls school or not. Like, things will, certain things will always stay the same. But it's really just about, like, finding the your own moments that make it, like, iconic and special. So, like, yeah, for that, in that video, like, I talked, like, it was all about my road trip that I went on with my best friends over spring break, which was, that was a really amazing, like, teen forever moment for me. Like, that that was a really crucial, like, shaping moment. Um, but that's not something that I would see in, like, teen-related media, which is, like, the thing that I, like, consume the most. So, yeah, it's just, it's letting go of those, those needs, you yeah, know? Yeah, totally. And I think that's, like, probably something that every teen has to deal with in some way, or at least some, like, everyone who's really invested in stories and stuff. There's such, like, a mythos around teenagehood in so many ways like I read a lot of young adult and I had kind of the same thing although mine was more issues because I grew up in like a smallish town and my high school was just like so un-American stereotype like we didn't really have cliques in the same way and it's funny that I would like be sad about that but it's like you kind of want some kind of structure so that you can see where you fit into it just like you were saying with freaks and geeks and for me like I because I didn't have that, it was like, oh, well, then what story is this? Like, is my life, like, worth it? Or, like, is it a real teenage experience? And, like, I've struggled so long, but it's, like, a thing that I'm coming to terms with. Is like, there's no real experience or, like, there's no fake experience. It's all just, like, what it is. Yeah. Did you find, like, 
growing up in Canada that a lot of the um, standards for what high school, like a real great high school experience should be, like came from American culture? Because I'm, I'm blind to yeah, that. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, there are movies in Canada. That, like, there's definitely a film industry in Canada, but I feel like it doesn't have its own unique teen movies. And um, when I think, I mean, I'm sure there are schools, especially probably like in Ontario and around Toronto, which is like much more people. Um, and probably there are probably high schools there that have like the football team and like cheerleaders and are more conventional or like stereotypical in that way. But something also just about like living where I do on the West Coast and like more people play soccer than any other sport. And it's just like a different landscape. Um, so yeah, a lot of our inspiration or like movies would be American and some ways it's like really similar and in some ways you're just like, you get an extra disconnect on top of the like, this is a fantasy world, not reality. Wow. It's interesting to me because I'm, you know, like hearing that perspective, I'm starting to feel like no matter what your high school situation was, like you'll always feel like it kind of wasn't exactly what you wanted. Like I grew up in America and like, going to football games on Friday night, like, always felt kind of off. Like, I wasn't, like, it wasn't super magical. Like, I was such, I'm just such a Friday Night Lights fan, so I, you know, I had all kinds of expectations going into high school, and things just sort of felt meh a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. But just, like, coming to terms with that, like, it's fine. Like, this isn't my entire life. Like, if some things were meh these past four years, like, that's just reality. It's okay, you know? Mm, I love coming to terms with meh. That's, like, the title of my <laughs> memoirs. <laughs> that's going to be great. Um, yeah. Uh, what else was I going to talk about? Oh, also just in terms of, like, documenting teenness. Um, we talked about this a bit before, and Tavi has talked about it in, like, talks about journaling and stuff. But because, like, journaling and recording bits of your life are such a part of your videos, um, how do you deal with, like, the stress of feeling like you have to record every second? Yeah, um, that's been such a, like, struggle for me, like, a legitimate, like, like, I've I sort of, like, a fear of forgetting things, and, like, I don't, I hate the idea of, like, being older and not being able to remember specific, like, years of my life, like, I'll, like, ask my dad, like, do you remember, like, what it was like for you second semester senior year, and he's like, no, like, what? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. shut up. <laughs> not really, but he's like, what? Like, like, it's a crazy thought to, like, my parents at least, like, why would I remember literally, like, every facet of my life, but it's sort of, like, become, like, an obsession for me to try to just get it down, I don't know if that's, thinking about now, like, I don't know if that's a function of um, growing up in a technology era where it's a lot, you're, you're recording yourself virtually every time you post a tweet or an Instagram, like, whatever it is, like, that's you in that moment, um, you have, like, notes on your phone to write down any given thought and know the exact time and date stamp of anything you've ever thought, really, that you want to write down. Um, so I think that might be part of it. But, um, yeah, for me, it's really just been the 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 turning off of, of the need to preserve everything exactly, like, as it was just, like, for my future self. Because, like... Um, I don't want to, like, live with my future self in mind all the time. Like, I want to be able to just, um, like, cherish what's happening in the now. And I realized, um, like, a year ago that, like, my my obsessive documentation was sort of at odds with, like, my philosophy of living in the now, which is, 
like pretty important to me. It sounds like I, I realize it sounds kind of cliche, but it's it's such a crucial like cornerstone of my life um, to like stay stay now. Um, so yeah, it just comes in like the little moments of just remembering like okay, like turn off the camera, like write down a moment from this week, but not every day. Like my freshman year, I literally daily journaled. I wrote everything that happened every day. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, and. Like, it's it's sort of fun to read back now, but it's, like, I didn't need to do that to, like, re- remember what freshman year was like, right? Like, I can listen to a song that I loved freshman year and remember more about that time than, like, just reading a detailed account of what happened every day and, like, my interactions with friends. Like, there's value to that, but I think it's better to um, pick out the special, mom- the special moments and write those down and just... Um, Remember what's important and not everything. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, that's really, I think that's really important as well. Because you, otherwise you just get totally like bogged down and trapped in yourself. I heard a radio story recently, I'm trying to think what podcast it was on. There's too many. But it was like I about know. people who have like a thing where they can't forget anything in their lives just about. Like they just have this huge memory and just the way that that can become a trap in itself because you get stuck in emotions for so long and you can't, like, well, you can let go, but it's so much harder. hey it's Kara from Beyond the Realm of the podcast. I just wanted to note for the record that the podcast I was referring to is the episode 585, In Defense of Ignorance, from This American Life, specifically the section Forget Me, Not Uh, which is produced by Stephanie Fu, and which explores the condition of hyperthymesia, or HSAM, which involves possessing an extremely detailed or developed autobiographical memory. For the the show Mad Men, Don um, is pitching, uh, I think, Kodak, and, you know, he's he's, uh, talking about the, um, the projector, you know, how it's sort of a carousel of memory, and it's a, it's not spot on how I remember things, but it's, pretty damn close carousel of memory yeah it's it and i think that the words i'm trying to recall exactly the voiceover for this uh for this teaser but it was something like you know there's a rare occasion when the public can be engaged hold on here's that scene there's the rare occasion when the public can be engaged on a level beyond flash it's nostalgia nostalgia delicate but potent you know it, it takes us to a place where we long to go again it takes us to a place where we ache to go again you know, and that's exactly how I feel when I think about my memories. You want to be there. Sometimes I am there, whether or not I choose to. Wow, that reminds me so much. Have you heard of the show? Have you heard of the show Black Mirror? Uh, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. So we watched um, we watched a few episodes in my philosophy class for a semester. But there's this incredible episode. Like the premise of the show is each episode is different. Um, but there's always some kind of, like, weird new futuristic technology in every new episode, and you watch how it affects people's lives. And I'm not really into sci-fi, but, like, this is, like, the greatest, like, example I've ever seen of, like, just futurism, like, playing out in human lives. And there's an episode about, like, everyone, everyone in that universe, like, has the technology to replay any memory at any given point, and you just see, like, the obsession that people fall into when they, like, can do that, when they can literally just, like, watch something that happened and, like, focus on what they did and what they did and what they did. And it actually reminded me, like, when I watched it, I was like, that's sort of, like, 
when I, when I daily journaled, that, like, it kind of enabled me to do that same kind of thing, where it's like, hmm, like, that's how that went down, like, I don't know, no, 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 like, I think, like, your memory chooses to remember certain things for a reason, like, it filters out a lot of junk and details, like, that might even hurt you, um, so you don't want to, like, interfere on that too much by documenting, like, over-documenting, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. So next on... Hey guys, Kara here. I really hope that you've been enjoying this conversation with Sadie, at least partly as much as I enjoyed talking to her. We go on for quite a bit longer, and so I've decided to split the episode up into two, just for ease of, like, listening and absorbing everything that we're saying. Um, I thought it might be more enjoyable and nice. In the second episode, we'll actually cover, like, her films and her movies and stuff, but that will come out soon. I will let you know. Uh, In the meantime, if you want to find Sadie online, you can find her at Defense360 on Twitter or on YouTube, and you can find the podcast at Fangirls on Twitter or F-A-N underscore G-R-R-R-L-S. Um, I think. I think it has an underscore because Twitter is into underscores for some reason. And uh, we'll see you around online. Cool. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. The song that you have been listening to in the intro and the outro to this podcast is called Midway from the band Bad Bad Hats and their new album Psychic Reader, which you can download for free on their website badbadhats.com. They're not like sponsoring us. I just found them recently. And you can get their music for free, and it's like really summery and, I don't know, kind of breezy and cool. So, that's fun. 